This podcast brought to you by Stary Strips. So I was calling a basketball game and two of the coaches were men. It was Kevin McGuff of Ohio State and Jeff Walls of Louisville. And at the, the morning shoot around, Jeff Walls had his uh, two-year-old daughter on his lap. I think I asked, you know, when's her birthday? And he's all of a sudden racking his brain, looks at his daughter and says, when's your birthday? And she had to tell him he has four kids. So then later that day, I was talking to Kevin McGuff. He has six children. And I told him about the story with Jeff Walls. And I said, can you tell me the birthdays of your six kids? So he slowly, as he's painstakingly going through the Rolodex in his brain, going through them all. And when he got to his six-year-old Lake, he was completely at a loss, had absolutely no idea, couldn't even come up with a month, forget the day. So give them to me, not the years, just the days of our four kids' birthdays. I won't dignify that with a response. You know I know those. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Rebecca Lobo, welcome to your own basement. This week, there's a ceremony to honor you at Gamble Pavilion, home of the Yukon Huskies, where your Hall of Fame banner will be hoisted to the rafters. Gamble Pavilion. Did I already say Gamble Pavilion? You have. I was hoping you were going to say that we're going to get a replica one that we're going to hoist to the ceiling in our foyer because I think that would look really good there. I'm excited about this. It's going to be fun, especially now that they've replaced the roof at Gamble Pavilion. That thing was looking awful the past five or 10 years, falling apart. It's been replaced. And now they're adding the the final, not final, but an accessory that will make it look even nicer. Is it foyer or or foyer? Foyer. I don't know. In our house? With it's a the, foyer. It's it's the, a, in our house, it's a foyer. <laughs> <laughs> I think the roof was, was buckling under the weight of the of the many of, banners. Oh, of course it was. It was struggling to, to hold but only, all those up. But only two Hall of Fame banners so far, Jim Calhoun and Gino Oriema. Yours will be the third of many to come. Yeah, without question. There's going to be a lot of... Uh, female basketball players in the Hall of Fame from UConn in a, in a short amount of time. But let's go back to our foyer. Our, our kids and I have a bet, and I want to see which one of us is going to win. There's a n- new piece of furniture in our dining room, and I'm just wondering if you've noticed it yet. The kids were with me when we got it, and they took bets on how long it would be before Dad noticed the new piece of furniture in the dining room. Have you noticed the new I piece haven't, of but in fairness, the only piece of furniture that's in there is a dining room table that, that is covered in packages, laundry, school supplies, it, it, backpacks. It was until this morning when I cleared it off. It's, but, ne- it's never been dined upon, I yeah. should say. <laughs> well, no, it gets dined upon once a year. Our dining room gets used once a year for Thanksgiving. We have people over. And then the rest of the year, it's like the way station or the holding station of, okay, this I have to get this to the basement or I have to return this stuff. And until I do, it goes in there. But there is another piece of furniture in there other than the dining room table. 
and since you've gone well beyond what the kids guessed, they guessed a couple of days that you might go without noticing it. It's been two weeks. Well, don't been, leave me in suspense. It's been two weeks. No, I'll, I'll let you find it okay. later. It's not covered with stuff. But since the foyer is right next to the dining room, and since the dining room has all the crud on the table, except for once a year, on Thanksgiving, we'll call the foyer a foyer. The rest of the year, it's a foyer because the dining room is just a it's, way station the rest it, of the year. It's the fabulous foyer, just like the fabulous forum in Los Angeles where the Lakers played. We have a mini hoop mounted on the front yeah. door and my son and I play basketball. I, I don't let him win. I've learned my lesson. Is that the from one last place week. that's the one that place you don't let him win? He still beats me. I'm just not letting him win. I have to say but like I want to get back to you. Let's no, no, enough no, no, about no, let's, enough about us. Let's talk about no, you. First, I, I just want to say because you know the, the the entrance of our house, the foyer, it's nice. We've got, you know, nice picture in there. There's nice stuff. And then we've got this little basketball hoop that most kids would have in their bedroom over their bedroom door and we have it on the inside of our entry door you know it's got a breakaway rim and our son is just loves playing hoops there he plays against you a lot i'm proud of myself a lot of women a lot of wives and moms wouldn't love the fact that their son has that right in the foyer that breakaway rim basketball hoop I love that it's there. I love that he's doing trick shots from, you know, going up the stairs and trying to make shots and that our kids are destroying the door because every time they dunk on that hoop, it takes some paint off the front door because, of course, that's what it should be for those of guys, course. right? He, he tries to recreate uh, various Dude Perfect videos uh, in the foyer <laughs> with trick shots, but it's a long winter here and he can't play hoops in the driveway in, in January, so... It used to be on his bedroom door, and we said, why not bring it into the foyer? We, we didn't say that. You said that, but I'm completely in favor of it. Well, if you're playing a drinking game at home, that's, uh, I think, 10 mentions of foyer. Now, back to Gamble Pavilion. This banner is being raised in your honor. You've had your number hung on the wall there as well. And I, my only regret, uh, it's a great honor. We're full of pride, but why is it? that only in sports do you get this sort of ceremony where your work clothes are venerated, hoisted into the rafters, and uh, retired. I would like to see that in other professions. I would like to see Bob make his 10,000th oil change and have his jumpsuit hoisted to the, to the ceiling at Jiffy Lube, for instance. Why, if you're a certified public accountant and the best there ever was, is your blazer not framed and and hung on the wall of an accounting hall of fame well for bob at jiffy lube you know you couldn't just do it on his 10,000th you'd have to wait for him to retire or else he would no longer have his jumpsuit to wear to work every day but i do like that idea i do like the notion of why why can't bob get a new jumpsuit after after every game why can't bob swap jumpsuits with a guy from down the road at the other oil change place <laughs> After a particularly good like oil a change, soccer jersey. absolutely. Oh yeah, why not have uh, you know the alternate color jersey for or the alternate color Sunday jumpsuit? Alternate. Absolutely. Yeah, on Sundays you wear the different. Well, hopefully Bob's home has a day off on Sunday, but you know, I'm starting to buy this idea. I, I want like to extend it. these traditions, and you know, it would only apply to the very best of the very best who get their jumpsuit retired, who get their clip-on tie retired, who get their bib overalls retired, whatever it is they wear for their profession, apply the same standards. Who wears a clip-on tie beyond 
elementary school. <laughs> well, I was talking they're, about clip on tie. Clip on tie for their profession. If I were in a profession that required me to dress like an adult, I would be wearing a clip on tie. <laughs> they should be. Well, our son a couple years ago got a tie. It was new to me. I don't know if it was new to you. It wasn't a clip-on, but it went over the, his head. And then there was like a zipper part of it. You pulled the back part of the tie and it zipped up. They should make those for adults. I'm, Why not? I'm wearing clip-on pants right now. <laughs> well, you wear those, or you used to back in the day, you know, the snap-away pants. Your warm-up Absolutely, pants for basketball. Do they yes. still even make tearaways? I, I, I hope so. If, if not, I, I'm going to get some. The problem is you have to snap them to get them back on. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of effort for you. I think like any other Hall of Fame, you know, an accounting Hall of Fame, a, a car sales Hall of Fame, and some of these professions have have them, I know. But um, to really be authentic, they, sh- they should be voted on by a panel of sports writers. <laughs> And well, but this would be my question: Would it be a panel of sports writers like in the Baseball Hall of Fame, where you know who they are, or would it be a panel of sports writers like in the Basketball Hall of Fame, where it's a super secret club nobody knows? We don't even know if they're who, sports who writers. The, we, we don't. We don't know if they're real people. We don't know what they are in the Basketball Hall of Fame. So they could which be. Would they it, could be auto mechanics and accounts, which it, would be a that rich would be irony, and I think appropriate. That would be perfectly appropriate, and then. For the Sports Writer Hall of Fame, of course, it would be plumbers who would vote on that because in gratitude for all the people who've read their sports writing while oh, of course. keeping the plumbers employed. I was wondering where you're going with that. <laughs> and then the very finest of my profession, we could have our sweatpants hoisted to the rafters. What exactly would it be? like? What What is the sports writer outfit or the sports writer uniform. There's any number of, of possibilities, but I would I would nominate Oscar Madison, the great sports writer from the Odd Couple, uh, his plaid blazer as kind of a an icon of, of sports writing couture. Can I say couture and in foyer the, in the same uh, yes, podcast? I think you should say say those in the same podcast. Yeah, I'm trying to think of my back to my days of playing. I mean it kind of ran the gamut of whatever costume different sports writers well i'm not w- sure i'm not wearing. sure they, they wear costumes oh in the my locker rooms they did <laughs> really was, occasionally you'd be interviewed by somebody wearing a, a rubber dracula mask well it could have been closer to a costume right. than an outfit you're, you're supposed to say, actually that wasn't a mask i discovered <laughs> when i tried to pull it off scooby-doo style <laughs> Well, that just makes me think the word outfit makes me think. I remember early on when we were married and you came downstairs one day and were dressed and you look nice. You were matching in some way, just meaning, you know, that your shirt matched your pants. And I said to you, wow, that's a nice outfit. And your response was, I'm wearing an outfit. And then you went and changed. What's wrong with the word outfit? That just means that your clothes are coordinating with one yeah, another. Yeah, it sounds calculated and, and vaguely garanimals garanimalistic if i may what the the idea of an outfit yes well i'm fascinated by your wardrobe in a lot of ways because because you don't buy your own clothes and i mostly most of the clothes that you have now not only did i buy them i and it's not has, has no nothing to do with you purchasing them it's you just don't like going shopping for clothes once a year late august before we go back to school 
Yeah. You take me to a store <laughs> and I have say, me try things you, you on. You try pants on, and I say, come here, and I pull them up and down and see if they have room in the waist to grow. <laughs> and then the clerk, the clerk looks at you and says, do you want me to bag these up, or will he wear them out of the store? And then <laughs> I look at you to, wait what, to hear what the answer is. What's, and then we buy a box of pencils. What's so funny about that to me, it's not that far off the truth, including... You told me this, and, and I, I couldn't believe it at the time. Now I completely believe it because I know you better than I did then. But when you got your job, you got you got the job from Sports Illustrated right out of college. So you went to Marquette, graduated, moved to New York City. And, and New York can be overwhelming for anyone. But you are a grown man with a college degree, with a job in New York. And the only time you got new clothes was when your mother mailed you the new clothes she purchased. She purchased the clothes in Minnesota and mailed them to you. Is This this is correct, right? Well, this is the, the only time that you got new clothes. In fairness, the job that I got at Sports Illustrated was a three-month fact-checking job the summer that after I graduated. So my parents didn't ship my actual clothes to New York. I had a suit that I wore to graduation that I got for graduation, and I wore that on my first day in, July, in June at Sports Illustrated, that where was, I was, that was your costume. Laughed for the day. at, yes, because who is the buffoon in a suit? Said everybody else wearing a Hawaiian shirt and <laughs> and jorts. So I didn't have any clothes. Period in New York. So my mom did have to send me some clothes. Yes. And when when was the other time that you got laughed at by your coworkers when they were going out for lunch or sending out for lunch? Well, one the, day? it's 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 too many too numerous times to detail. But on Sunday nights, you would work all night or half the night till two or three in the morning, closing the magazine. And somebody would always go out to the A&K Deli at 50th and 7th to get sandwiches to bring back to the people working late. And one of my coworkers in the bullpen at the Time and Life building in New York was going around taking sandwich orders and said to me, peeked into my cubicle and said, would you like a sandwich from A&K? And I said, sure, could you get me bologna, an American cheese on white bread with mayonnaise. <laughs> and people howled at that. That was the funniest thing they'd ever heard. And that was what that was the sandwich I'd been eating since kindergarten and so, my school lunch. So because they, they were grown adults going to a New York deli where there's all kinds of options and you wanted a did you want the bologna in the in the cheese? Did you want the cheese still to have the, uh, the like wrapper on craft it? Craft single? Yeah. A circle, a square of craft single. These are geometric shapes in primary colors. That's that's how much of a grown adult I was. A circle of Oscar Mayer bologna, a square of school bus orange craft single, a piece of Wonder Bread that I could ball up and, and play handball with afterwards, and a Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. By any chance did you do at Sports Illustrated what, the same thing you did when you were a kid, and that if you didn't like the sandwich, you just shoved it into the back Stick of your desk? Stick it in my desk until about 40 of them pile up and my teacher comes in and and while I'm in another classroom and opens my desk up and sees all these green sandwiches that had been entombed in my pencil box. No, I didn't do that. It's <laughs> just unbelievably disgusting. But um, yes, yeah, so your mother was still buying your clothes for you when you were a single guy in Manhattan. And then when we started dating, the only new clothes you got were clothes I purchased for you, although... Maybe, and perhaps maybe, that's why, what was my, the first thing my brother said to you when he met you? You're only dating my sister so you can wear her clothes. <laughs> Which perhaps is an indictment of how I dressed. But you and I are 
about the same height. You're, you're an inch taller than me, but you can borrow things like my sweatshirts. I've that, never, I've never done that. No, but I'm saying, about? but I'm saying you could. And that gets me to thinking of the newest sweatshirt I purchased. So a few weeks ago, um, at UConn taping interviews with Coach Oriam and some players, the, their practice facility is right across the street from the bookstore. So I went over to the bookstore because our kids really own nothing UConn. Our nephew is a freshman there now. It felt like we should, I should have some stuff for our kids. And so while I was there, I realized too that I don't own a Yukon sweatshirt. I should probably get one for myself. So I go and I find this sweet stack of sweatshirts that I thought really nice husky dog on the front. So I find one that uh, is my size. I pay for it, whatever. I get home. Within a couple of days, I put it on. And I'm wearing it around the house. And uh, after a while, I realize I really stink. I just reek of B.O. And I don't understand why, because I've showered that day. I'm clean. I haven't done anything that should make me stink. So I reek of B.O. So I go and I take the sweatshirt off. And when I take the sweatshirt off, I realize it's not me that reeks. It's the sweatshirt. And the pits of the sweatshirt are absolutely heinous. Not, you know, not so strong of an odor that you didn't, I didn't have to put my nose right near them. I just knew that's where I was coming from. So fortunately with, you know, effort and washing and laundering, the sweatshirt no longer stinks. But I realized what probably happened is I took the sweatshirt off the top of the pile. There was probably some stinky Yukon co-ed guy that was trying on sweatshirts in the bookstore, tried this one on and stunk so bad that he left his stench bouquet, his B.O. bouquet in my sweatshirt. So that would be a good fraternity hazing kind of a thing. Or if you pledge our fraternity, if you go to UConn, we're going to find the stinkiest guy and he has to go to all the surrounding schools. He has to go to UMass, BC, wherever, Yale, go to their bookstore, try on a bunch of stuff and just leave his stench in their clothes the serial stinker the, the serial stinker yeah and it and or one way to avoid that is i don't know if you're aware of this if you are I, I want to know why but when women try on bathing suits in the crotch of the bathing suit there's this little strip of paper like a stary strip that you're not supposed to remove until you purchase the bathing suit and bring it home did you were you aware of it i'm of not this? aware that there's a new okay. piece of furniture in our dining room so I Fair enough. So, I mean, the Steri strip is kind of disgusting anyway, because after the first person tries it on, it's no longer Steri. But my idea is, I think that sweatshirts, and perhaps only sweatshirts that are sold in college bookstores, should have those Steri strips in the pits, just for, in case some guy, you know, tries it on and leaves his odor. But also, if I ever buy another sweatshirt in a college bookstore, whether it's Yukon or anywhere... We'll never buy the one on the top of the pile. Never. How do you know that that guy isn't going around trying on women's bathing suits also? <laughs> oh, that visual is just um, delightful. Thank you. When you purchased that sweatshirt at the Yukon bookstore, did the lady ask, shall I bag it up or, or would you want me to hoist it directly into the rafters? <laughs> yes, exactly. It should have been hoisted directly into the rafters. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you said to me, did I ever tell you about the blind date I went on? And I said, no, but I don't want you to tell me about it until we're doing the podcast. So I want to hear that story now about your blind date. Most importantly, I want to know what you were wearing. Well, I've only ever been on one blind date in my life, and I had completely forgotten about it myself. But a buddy of mine 
texted me something about that last week. And I read that text and said it to you that I had gone on a blind date in Minneapolis with a woman who was an ear, nose, and throat doctor. And three minutes into the blind date, she got a, a text. Was it a pager it at the time? A was pager, it a, a yeah. carrier pigeon, probably? A smoke signal? <laughs> I don't know how. I think being in the medical profession must have been a beeper, Dr. Beeper, uh, calling her to an, an emergency <laughs> nasal, uh, a nasal emergency. And of course, what time of night was this? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, was in the evening. Yeah. It was after hours. First of all, who has a nasal emergency at that time? Obviously, she had a plan with a friend that, but, you know, if if I need an out, did she like go to the bathroom or use use a public phone anytime? No, she she, she just just nor nor did the, the beeper even beep. She uh, she just went beep, which I thought was odd. <laughs> it, if only you had thought of that. She just picked up a block of cheese, said beep. The beeper hadn't even been invented yet. I've got an ear, nose, and throat emergency. What is an ear, nose, and throat emergency? At least, at least say it's an ear, nose, or throat emergency, because the likelihood of all three of those happening at once. She she just started. I, I induced one. Perhaps well, perhaps it was perhaps it was the clothes that my mother had just picked out for me. Uh, perhaps they still had the tags on them or a note inside the pocket that said. Uh, I love you, son. Mommy. Well, uh, anyway, <laughs> she, she ran to grab her uh, a case of Q-tips and attends to an, an ear emergency that was happening <laughs> elsewhere. Well, the rafters are pretty much the only place that we have room to store laundry anymore because laundry is a constant process in our house with four kids who wear at least two outfits a day because they're coming home in their school clothes, changing for basketball practice this time of year or whatever the practice is, whatever time of year. So we either have dirty laundry or we have clean laundry that's been folded or clean laundry that's in piles sitting on top of dressers. By the time it gets into the dressers, it's time to do the laundry all over again. It's a never-ending process in our house. The dressers are empty. They're empty display stands that we put our folded clothes on top of. Well, you don't generally even know which drawer to put the kids' clothes in. So it goes on top of the dresser. Eventually, sometimes it gets in there, sometimes it doesn't. But it got me thinking, too, to when, you know, early on in our relationship, I remember the first time I saw your room, and it was an apartment in New York City, and you had clothes all over the floor of your bedroom. Sometimes they were folded, sometimes they were not folded, but the clothes were everywhere. And I remember saying to you at the time, like, how do you know which cl- clothes are clean and which ones are dirty? And your response was, like, I was a moron. I smell them. So were any of them clean? Like, how exactly did your system work before we got married? No, none of them were clean. They were all dirty. Some were dirtier than others. The ones that were less dirty were the ones that were clean. <laughs> The ones that were less dirty were the ones that were clean. That makes me think of, uh, you know, when, when we first got married, one of the things that you would do that would frustrate me is whenever you were done eating cereal or having a sandwich or whatever, you would you would take your dirty dish and bring it over and put it on the counter. But you would never put it in the dishwasher. You would just leave it sitting on the counter. And I remember when I asked you about this, I said, well, why, you know, it's, it's not much eff- more effort to put it in the dishwasher than it is to put them on the counter. I said, why do you leave them on the counter? And your answer to me was, because I don't know if the dishes in the dishwasher are clean or dirty. And I remember telling my mother this story, and she just looked at me and she said, 
well, why doesn't he just smell them? <laughs> so knowing that was your theory, you are now much better. You'll put the clothes in, the, the, or not the clothes, but the, the dishes in the dishwasher. The real reason, and a better answer would have been because I can't pack well. You pack the car if we're oh, going yeah. somewhere, and I the spatial relations between the bowl, does it go up here, does it go down there, is it... Does it have to be in the top rack? There are some rules about what goes in the bottom rack, what goes on the top rack. Some things can't be dishwashed. I'm just doing it as a courtesy to you. You're just leaving. You're leaving the silverware. There's only one place for the silverware to go. You're even leaving that out as a courtesy to me. Your spatial relations are terrible. Like if, say you and I are, for example, moving a piece of furniture from one room to another. To me, it's obvious the only way this is going to fit in, this couch is going to fit through this space is if we turn it this way. It's the only way it'll work. You would go through every other possible way to get it through that's not going to work before your brain would get you to the way that is going to work. If you, if we need to pack things into the car, you like that. It's, it's fascinating to me because obviously your brain is so, so much on the verbal side that the math part of it, which is where spatial relations go is just completely repressed. The first thing I do when moving a piece of furniture from one room to another is say, when did we get this piece of furniture? How long have we had this couch? And we were talking about the laundry and our kids wearing two different outfits a day. And part of the reason that is, is because they go to a school where they have to wear a school uniform. I love that. I love that every day, especially our oldest is in eighth grade. There's not any drama about you know, trying to figure out what she's going to wear. The only drama is trying to find a clean uniform skirt or a clean uniform shirt or that sort of thing. But I didn't wear a uniform as a kid. You did. I absolutely love it. I wear a uniform as an adult. I wear the same thing pretty much every day. (laughs) But as a kid, even as a kid wearing a uniform, there were all kinds of fine gradations of to distinguish yourself. I mean, kids put so much thought and uh, invested so much status in what sneakers they were wearing these three striped Adidas, those four striped Sears winners, um, even the even you know the navy blue pants and the light blue shirt. What kind of fabric those pants were made out of? Some kids wore long sleeve terry cloth button down Oxford blue shirts. We always wore these sort of light blue Ferdinand Marcos bowling shirts, and uh, so there were a million different things you could invest in, even while wearing your uniform. So uh, people think that kids who wear uniforms to school. Everybody's the same. There is no uniform, no uniformity to the uniform. The Ferdinand Marcos bowling shirts makes me think of what were those kind of shirts that were popular for a while, and you had quite a few of them. I think I purchased them for you. They were Ferdinand Marcos bowling shirts. We should say <laughs> that my mother has passed away, and so I, she no longer does buy my clothes. Yes. She would be. She, well, that's why when I met you, you hadn't had new clothes for a lot of years because your mother was no longer purchasing them for you. I had been going naked for several years before we met. <laughs> that was your sports writer costume in the locker room. Hard to believe that ENT had had suddenly leave <laughs> looking across the table at that. Oh, the bar, the 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 Mater D looking for the Steri strip for the chair. Yes, it was yes. it was all a disaster. Well, speaking of school, do the kids have any school projects coming up? I'm, I'm, my fingers are crossed that they do. Well, our son just came home. His first book report was um, it was a pizza project where you had a piece of cardboard cut into six slices. Each slice was a different part of the, the book report. And this was eye-opening to me with our first kid because when I was a kid, both of my parents were teachers. And a big book report when we were kids was to do a diorama. You'd get the shoebox and then you know you'd have to fill it with whatever. My mother never 
did a big part of my project. She would, you know, she never did any part of my project. She, as a teacher, she said, you're the kid. I've been through fourth grade already. This is your project. This is what you need to do. And I think most of the kids in my class, it was that way. You did your own projects. I'm not talking about homework, but projects. So may I, may I just tell you that about fourth grade, I did a project, a book report about a boxing book. And I took a piece of plywood paneling, hammered four nails through it, tied string around the four nails to make a boxing ring, brought it to the school. That was my project. Brought it home, left it in the basement. A couple days later, in the dark, going into the basement, I stepped on it in bare feet and the rusty nail, had to get a tetanus shot and bled out all over the basement floor. Only you. That's a really creative project, but only you would then step on it. That's unbelievable. Well, only, only an irresponsible parent would leave it exposed nails in the dark basement I, floor. I doubt your parents were even down there. Don't. That's not their fault. That's completely on you. But, that's true. They didn't go down there. But our kids, so when our when our oldest was in, you know, kindergarten, first grade, the first big project was a leprechaun trap. Come come March, come St. Patty's Day, was to build a leprechaun trap. Now all four of our kids have done that because they have the same amazing first grade teacher. But I remember going. You would go. Uh, they would have parent teacher conferences soon after the the leprechaun trap, and going in, and just being blown away by what these first graders were able to put together. Like our kid would get a, an empty cereal box or an empty oatmeal cylindrical thing and, you know, put paper on it, color it, put uh, Lucky Charms in it, whatever, and, and do a pretty great, you know, leprechaun trap for a first grader. I didn't realize how many geniuses <laughs> were in that class when we got a chance to check out some of those leprechaun traps. The people who are, who are, have Orkin pest control caliber leprechaun traps that uh, <laughs> include pesticide and uh, mechanized trap doors and things there like were, that. Th- we had, there were some that were mechanized that, that like the door would go up and down, I don't know, powered by battery. I think there were some that lit up. It was just, it was crazy. And, and of course, if, our, if one of our kids comes home and says, you know, I, I need help. I don't quite understand how to do this. First of all, if it's a math problem, they know immediately to come to me because you're, you're going to be of no use. Um, but yeah, of course, we'll sit down and we'll help them learn how to do whatever it is they're trying to do. You read with the kids um, every night. Um, that's the stuff, absolutely, as parents, we help. When it comes to projects, I've always felt this isn't like my mom did. This is not my project. This is your project. But there are so many when you go and see the projects that are handed in. There was always the lingering suspicion that certain leprechaun traps had been designed by Frank Geary or when they have to make a book report and it's on PowerPoint and it appears to have been run through the marketing department at Aetna Insurance. I just feel like it's not entirely the kids' work. Yeah, I mean, you're a skeptic. I just, I, I don't think their parents are doing them. I just think the children must be geniuses. Well, that's that's the difference. You, you invest children with magical powers. Right. And I'm a cynic who thinks that maybe the parents are doing the work. And maybe that's happening. You know, I want to go back to something before I forget about it. You mentioned that my mother bought my clothes for me. And I once, I'm recalling now, bought clothes for you. You probably don't remember what this was. You certainly never wore them. But uh, it's hard enough for you to buy clothes off the rack. You can't do it. But I once bought you out of the Sky Mall. Do you know where I'm going with this? I know exactly where you're going with this because hopefully this is the only thing you ever bought for me out of Sky Mall. Was the Sky Mall like 1-800-Flowers? Just the source alone I just is a deal breaker? I didn't know anyone looked through Sky Mall other than well, like when they were really bored on an airplane. It doesn't exist anymore, and I, and I hate getting on an airplane without anything to read. It doesn't but exist every, anymore? I don't know. It, perhaps it does. I don't... I don't 
I don't know that I yeah. ever looked at it. Yeah, in somebody the first who's on, place, on so. three airplanes a week, you ought you ought I to know better know, than anybody. I don't. But um, I bought you a a pair of women's six foot four inch footy pajamas out of the Sky Mall catalog. Not easy to find. Not easy. So difficult to find. They were in the Sky Mall catalog. I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying that if you're buckled into a seat with no mobility whatsoever, even then I had to reach over and, and grab the magazine that was in the seat pocket in front of me. So yes, I guess that was a, a minimal amount of effort now that you mention it. But I bought these for you. I think you gave them to me for Christmas I present. Did. I did. Did you ever wear them? I wore I I never slept in them. I put the, I tried them on a couple of times. First of all, footy PJs. None of us remember this because the last time all of us wore footy PJs was when we were eight. Footy PJs are ridiculously hot. You put them on and your body just feels like it's in a furnace. So, I mean, it was a lovely idea, I suppose. You know, no, I, most husbands might buy their wives a nice piece of lingerie or something. Instead, you bought me the thing that covered 99% of me and just left my face coming out. They were gray and pink footy PJs covered with elephants. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly <laughs> what I'm supposed well, to do with them. One thing you could do with them is is uh, you can't donate them to anybody unless they have a stereo strip, but you can't, <laughs> n- n- nor where, but you you could at least put them somewhere so I don't walk into a dark closet and see them on the floor. It looks always terrifying, like it's some kind of Bigfoot roadkill on the floor. It looks like the... the um, okay, so just, just pause uh, for a second. You know, a bearskin rug is like a, a Sasquatch rug, a furry, six-foot-four-inch pelt so do you on think, the closet floor. So do you think it would be less or more intimidating if that roadkill was actually on a moving 6'4 person? <laughs> And you can't, it's, they're so massive and thick. It's not like I can put it, it they would take up an entire drawer. They take up an entire drawer. They, they have to be they're, laundered like a, like a, you, a quilted bedspread yes, or something. You'd have to find the extra capacity washer for them. I mean, they're ridiculous. And I know you, you bought them as a joke and it was funny and I appreciated it, but it's not the joke that's going to keep going. I put them on, I wore them, they were too hot. I haven't tossed them because, I mean, they're, too ridiculous. I would like <laughs> to see your pink elephant footy PJs hoisted to the rafters <laughs> in at Gampel or in our or possibly in our foyer. Yes, I would like to see that too. You know, outfits are not just what you wear. Um, I remember when you know we we've talked about how you can grow a beard in five minutes. The Play-Doh fuzzy pumper is that what it's called? Sure. You know, I remember a time where I told you you know it would look really good if you if you you know trimmed your beard into a goatee. And I think I don't, I don't have a beard. Uh, no, but at the time you had growth, and I said, "Why don't you trim the fuzz on your face into a goatee? It'd look good." And you said, "I don't want to have a face outfit." No, I, 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 <laughs> not a so goatee. You're opposed to on you yeah. clothes outfits, face outfits, and fortunately, um, you've learned how to shave your own head because for a while, I was doing that too. But now you just, you know, the the little bit of hair that you have, you bring down to the bring down to the bald beauty that it is. Well, you know, I'm, I am happily bald. Uh, this baldness is the best haircut I've ever had. So, and it's the lowest maintenance, needless to say. So I'm proudly bald. You know, I, my favorite bald guy story, 2003, I think it was, you and I were at the NBA All-Star Game in Atlanta. There was a post-game reception 
on the Saturday night, post dunk contest, all that yeah, stuff, reception, yeah. hosted by NBA Commissioner David Stern. I was your plus one. We were in a room with about 100 people in it. At one point, President, former President then Bill Clinton walked into the room with his running mate, rush hour actor, comedian, Chris Tucker, just hanging out. And because, of course, those two would be hanging out together. Yes, yes, yes. And everybody just avoided him. Like First of all, so, the room came to a complete stop. halt, complete yeah. silence, as everyone's whispering, like, there's Chris Tucker and President Clinton, but nobody going over to talk to him. Right. And I said to you, Rebecca, you've flown on Air Force One with him. You jogged with him at the White House. He came to a Liberty game. He sang happy birthday to you at a rally in Connecticut, which is a story for another time. Go over and say hello. And before you could do that, he walked across the room and said, hey, Rebecca, how's it going? Good to see you. And we talked and I, he said to me, oh, you two are engaged. If I could give you just one piece of advice, you know, have as many kids as you can. They'll take care of you in your old age. And I thought, this is amazing. I'm getting marital advice from Bill Clinton. And so he was on, he was in the middle of the two of us. And there was a photographer crept into our view. And I glommed into the picture. The photographer took the picture. He looked. There was something wrong with the composition of the photo. And then he pointed at me and said, could you just step out of the frame? So I did. And then he took a picture of of you and President Clinton. And a Secret Service guy put his arm around me and said, don't worry, everybody always asks me to step out of the picture too. And so I've become very used to stepping out of the picture it, or, or taking a picture with somebody else's camera. And so we were waiting in line, you and I, I don't know if you remember this, at O'Hare in oh, McDonald's. Yeah, I remember this, yeah. And a guy came up to us, an older gentleman, with his phone and said, can I get a picture? And I said, sure, you show me, you know, where the camera button is. And he said, oh, no, no, I want you in the picture too, Andre Agassi. <laughs> and he looked at me like I was trying, you know, to play <laughs> off my my celebrity as Andre Agassi. So I, he took a picture of Rebecca Lobo and Andre Agassi at McDonald's uh, at O'Hare. And they once asked the wrestler Triple H, if I were a wrestler, what would my ring name be? You know, every wrestler, and he, without without pausing, without hesitating, he said, you're bald, skinny, a writer, we'd put a little blue cap on you and call you the ballpoint pen. You could go around staining people. So, you know, so baldness that, has its has its advantages. That would have been your costume in the locker room. There you go, the ballpoint pen. A big crystal, as, as, as we all know it's called. And I also, thinking of this now, when you went into the Hall of Fame in September, you made your speech, great speech, a week later at home, you were looking at it to print it out, to put in a file. And I saw the printed version of your speech, which contained stage directions for the television production. Yes. Yeah, so they, they wanted a, a copy of my speech. And I said, I don't really deliver speeches that way. I don't write them out for verbatim. But I understood that for TV purposes, they needed to know who I was going to be talking about next so that they could get ready and put those people on camera. So what I sent them was you know, kind of an outline of these are the things I'm going to be talking about and then the people I was going to be talking about in case they wanted to put them on camera. And so the stage direction for me, when you mentioned me, was parenthetically, Steve Russian, parentheses, bald guy with my kids. <laughs> and you know what actually is the best part of that is they encouraged 
and basically made everyone put their speeches in a teleprompter. So these notes that I sent them, kind of my bullet points with these stage directions, were also in the prompter. So I remember looking up right before I was going to talk about you, and they had that in the prompter, bald guy next to my kids, as if I needed to have that uh, in my speech so that I would remember who exactly you were. Well, the, the best part of it is the my kids, not even bald guy next to our kids. Well, because it was, they were going to be reading it. So they needed to know. I mean, it wasn't my children with the director. It was my kids. So, yeah. But it makes me think, too, I'm glad I didn't know you before you were bald because I've seen pictures. And it's it's an interesting um, process that a guy goes through when he's losing his hair because, you know, it's just never an, a good look. You know, like, I think guys with hair look good. I think guys who are bald look good. Give me a break. No, the in-between What would you like that guy to do? I mean, wear a knit cap like like the edge for the rest of his life? And I mean, okay, whatever. Just cut it all short. Okay, well, then it's still a bad look, according to you. Get a toupee that looks like a hot hat of hair and a chin strap and and, and you're golden. Okay, you and I will agree that a toupee is never a good look. Well, are you kidding? Of course not. I mean, I, mean, I think that's no, uh, who's no, disputing that. No man, no man should ever wear a toupee. Just, just shave it down bald. Because even if you've got like the hookiest of heads, if the shape of your head is horrible, you're still gonna look better bald than you would if you had a toupee on. But that makes me think quickly of wigs. And my mother, because she had breast cancer and had chemotherapy, lost her hair, and as a result, she had a wig. And I remember. Fortunately, my mother had a phenomenal sense of humor, but I remember her telling the story of she was at a UConn game because um, this was all during my senior year of college. And a woman came over to her and said, Ruthann, I love your new haircut. It is absolutely beautiful. It's so nice on your face. I love your new haircut. You'll you'll have to tell me, you know, where where you got that done. And my mom just said, thank you. I appreciate it. Trying to kind of push it off. The woman was persistent. No, I love it. I love it. You have to tell me where you had it done. So finally, my mother just said to her, well, I'm undergoing treatment and this is a wig. And the woman just like got all freaked out and scampered away. And my mother, of course, like instead of feeling weird about it, just was hoping that she hadn't made the other woman too uncomfortable. So you have to be careful too if you're going to compliment how much you like someone's hair. Well, there you go. I I do want, by the way, my tombstone to read, bald guy next to my kids. (laughs) Promise me you'll do that for me. Okay. That means I know what to give you for your eulogy and I know what to put on your tombstone. Last word on clothes. How do we feel about grown-ups wearing jerseys? We don't feel good about it. I I don't love adults wearing jerseys. I don't have a problem wearing t-shirts of your favorite team, but jerseys is a little weird. Kids absolutely wearing jerseys. Middle-aged men in mesh is not your thing? (laughs) Middle-aged men in mesh? Not in the context of jerseys, Um, no. In what context uh, (laughs) exactly? In every other context, it's good. I don't think they make jerseys out of mesh anymore. But yeah, unless you're actually competing in the sport, don't wear the jersey. Like a mesh high school football half shirt that's not your thing on a <laughs> Will Ferrell style that yes that would uh that would be perfect well i mean i think if baseball managers have to dress like baseball players i i think in basketball i would love to see you know coach Oriama and Tara Vanderveer when UConn and Stanford play 
go ahead, put on the uniform and get over there and coach. Is there a more ridiculous tradition in sports than a baseball manager wearing the same thing that the players play in? And I would argue that perhaps there is, and that is the people who watch baseball wearing the same thing that the players are wearing, although usually they're not wearing baseball pants, stirrups. Nobody wears stirrups anymore for the most part, and a you know uh, a team turtleneck or whatever. Okay, well, let me ask you this, though. What about in golf, where everybody in the gallery is dressed exactly like the players? I mean, and, and I, of course, when you're out playing golf and you're wearing your pants and your white belt and your matching white shoes, whatever, yeah, you look good. But if you're not golfing, just because you're on the course, that looks a little, a little silly. I think, think it's 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 bizarre to wear skates to a to an NHL game. You wouldn't do that, <laughs> but people do dress as if they're about to be summoned into the game at any moment, which is an interesting thing, an interesting change from when people wore wore fedoras and neckties and and all that to games. Rebecca Lobo. It's viewer mail time. Oh, viewer mail time, of course. Um, I think the hot button issue from last week was: should you or should you not let your kids win? And I think universally, people on Twitter have spoken. And you should not let your kids win. Everyone, 100%. Everyone, 100% agree with me that you shouldn't just let your kids win. So. I would I would counter-argue that none of those people has ever been locked in a nine-day risk game with their nine-year-old son. If they were, they'd be bailing on that and letting their kid win, which is the only way to do it. Or you can just press pause. I had some a woman on Twitter who did not like the fact that I said that there are certain jobs that are, are man jobs. She said, what if you're, you have a single mom? What if you have a same-sex relationship to women? And um, I was just calling them man jobs in the hopes that you would do them. And I want you to know that this morning I shut off the lights, I ran the insincorator, and I took out the garbage. So yes, my friend on Twitter, there are no such things as as man jobs. Is it perhaps. is it an incinerator or is it a disposal? Do we know? <laughs> it's definitely not a disposal, perhaps a disposal. And my last and favorite viewer mail was actually delivered to me in person. I was at a Jimmy V fundraising event in Hartford and a gentleman came up to me and he said, I heard you need a handyman. And he handed me his card because we were talking about that on the podcast. So I'm just waiting for the guy who's going to come up to me at the next bar in Hartford and say, I heard you need a candy man. Hey, hand me kids, his card. gather round, listen to what I'm putting down. Hey, baby, I'm your handy man. <laughs> I, I, I hope it wasn't said in that context. Um, and I'll never sing again, don't worry. Um, well, Rebecca Lobo, you've said it all. You've said it all. We need to thank producer extraordinaire Denny Gallagher, Denny with one N, Dennis with two N's. But Denny with one yeah, N. Yeah, I need to ask him about how that came to be. Nobody knows. Uh, we need to thank... But we do care. We do care. The theme song is by Tom, Dick, and Harry out of Minneapolis. On Twitter, at Ball and Chain Podcast. Anything you want to plug? Any jersey-raising ceremonies that uh, you need to plug? Jersey-raising before the Cal game at Gample Pavilion. Get there early. Cheer loud for both teams. And if you're listening to this after the ceremony, go back in time and get there early. Rebecca Lobo. I'm Steve, Steve Russian. I'm 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 the ballpoint pen. Tom Dick and Harry, play us out.
Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in the cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.